Every year, we highlight part of our vision statement to reach our world through our global outreach series. This year, we're looking at the theme through the lens of Jonah, an Old Testament prophet God sent to a people who were far from him. Join us for this three-week series as we learn about God's heart for those who don't know him and how we can respond in our world today. And so look, as we've uh, been sharing with you every single week a story of what's been happening around the world, because this is our Global Outreach Series, we've wanted you to know some things that are happening in Israel or the Middle East, Africa, just all around the world that you are a part of. Uh, We wanted to take a moment and just share with you something that's happening here in the city. Uh, As you just saw, a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Travis, uh, they were going to have to shut down because COVID came along and you couldn't rent the space, you couldn't meet in schools, you couldn't do anything, and their building was under construction. And so they said, we're not going to be able to meet for an entire year. And we said, that's not acceptable. Come use our building. So they've they've been here, he said, a few months. If y'all see him, remind him when the number's like 10, 11, 12, we we say year. That's just how that works. But here's the cool part, Grace Life, you need to know is that even here in this city, outside of our own worship services, people have been getting saved, coming to know Jesus, and you're a part of making that happen. And so it is so cool to see the reach that we can have. So speaking of things like sharing our building, uh, what's happening around the world, these Thanksgiving uh, meals, Halloween when we went door to door, and then next week we'll start talking about all the things we can do at Christmas. We do all of this because of the reason we're on planet Earth. And we're not here for these church services. I hope y'all know that. I say it all the time, just try to remind you. It's great that we get to come together and worship God, but this is not why we're here. You're not here to be a good Christian. You'll be a better Christian in heaven, I promise. We are here to reach our world. That's why God has left us on planet earth. That's the job that he's given us right now. And so that's why we do a global outreach series every year, just to remind us what we are here to do. We can't lose sight of the mandate God has given us. And so uh, as we're talking about this, we, we change the theme every year, and this year's theme is Jonah, and today is uh, the last part, just three short weeks we've been doing this. Today's part three. If you've missed part one or part two, you can go get it online, but I think one of the things we've really struggled with about Jonah is why he just can't get over himself and go talk to those people. Like, why is it such a big deal he refuses to go share God's message with these people? And so I thought, you know, I could open up with an illustration that here all of you folks in Columbia could understand, uh, especially we just saw some baptisms from some University of South Carolina students, because it's only like a a week or two away or something like this that there's going to be a Clemson-Carolina game, right? Yep. And uh, pretty much every one of you, you have uh, an affinity towards either garnet, black, or orange, and then a, a hatred towards that other color. So here you go. I want you to imagine, we're going to get ourselves in Jonah's shoes a little bit. I want you to imagine that after the Clemson-Carolina game, you're walking through the parking lot, and someone wearing the other team colors has a flat tire. Now, you know what you're going to do. You're going to look at them and go, peace out, bro. Hope you got a spare. And keep walking. Like, you don't even care. That's their own problem. Okay, you're like, that's, that's silly, Jimmy. Uh, but if, if hell were on the line, I would get over my hatred of orange and actually talk to them. And well, well maybe you would. Let me actually give you a, a real life example. Uh, when I graduated college, I went to Romania to join a church planning team. And this was uh, just recently after the fall of communism. It had been decades before people had been allowed to share the message of the gospel freely and to, to, to be able to tell the people the truth of that. And so I was all excited to go and be a part of a church planting team there. When I got there, I discovered that there were really two groups of people. There were Romanians 
and, and there were gypsies. And, and the gypsies were people that the Romanians didn't like very much. And, and even though they're all Romanians, the Romanians said, well, those people, the ones who dress more colorfully and, and they, they have less stuff, you can't trust them because they're all thieves and they're liars. They'll steal everything. And I said, well, then how are we going to reach the gypsies? This is what I asked all the Romanians on our team in a team meeting. How are we going to reach the gypsies? And their true life answer to me was, we don't need to. And it wasn't meant to be funny. It was, we don't care about those people. And so today, what we are after in part three, what we really want to get before we're done is an answer to the dilemma. Why was Jonah having such a hard time just going to these people? God says, go. Why could he not go? And, and the reason we're going to grapple with this question so much is because hopefully we're going to understand why we struggle to do the very same thing. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, we're in chapter three today in the book of Jonah. Don't worry if you don't have a Bible. It's all gonna be on the screen right here beside me. But as you're turning, let me catch us up in the story, especially uh, if we've got someone here for the first time. So two weeks ago, the story began like this. God came to a prophet of God, a man named Jonah, who was one of the Israelites among God's people. He said, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which was another country, another group of people altogether. And I want you to tell them some things because their evil has risen up before me. And Jonah's response was, of course their evil has risen up before you. They're really bad people, so no, I'm not going. And then Jonah goes the opposite direction as far as he can try to go. He didn't get very far because he was trying to run from the presence of God. Silly Jonah. I mean, seriously, you think you're going to get away with that? Of course he didn't get away with it. So God sends a big storm on the sea. Jonah gets thrown overboard by the sailors once he tells them that it's his fault because he's running from God. And then God sends this great big fish. Actually, the word means great aquatic beast to swallow him up. And so again, in part two, if anybody's here going, do y'all really believe that story? Is this guy really preaching that? I mean, come on, I went to science class, man. I want to point you back to part two if you missed it because in part two, we talked about how you can believe this as a real story, as history, without checking your brain at the door. It really could happen. I believe it did happen. So anyway, go back and check out part two. And so here's where we are in the story. He got swallowed by this great aquatic beast and then the beast spits him out upon dry ground and God tells him to go again. This time, Jonah actually responds. So at the beginning of chapter three, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, last week, we talked about how cool God is because he is a God of second chances. Y'all remember that? It's good news, right? And, and it's good news for us because it's good news for Jonah that if he didn't obey the first time, God's going to give him another chance. It's good news for the Ninevites, and all of that's good. But what we need to understand, he's not just a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances and fourth chances, and the numbers just keep going up because of this word that he said to Jonah, go. You see, the mandate to go has never changed. From thousands of years ago until the time of Jesus who told his disciples to go to the ends of the earth, to you and me today, he is still telling his people, go, leave your comfort, leave your busyness, go to the people who do not know me. That's what I expect of my people, that you would be people who go, either around the world or at the very least across the street, but go. The mandate has never changed and it never will, not until the day we see Jesus. So let's keep going. How did Jonah respond? Well, he actually went this time. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, 
Three days journey in breadth. Everybody pay attention to that. That's very important. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going only a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So I just want to stop. If you're new to Grace Life, if this is your first time here, I have a personal passion among several. One of them, though, is making sure that you understand the Bible is God's word and it's trustworthy. You can believe it. And so every time there's a little nerd fact that shows up that some people try to refute the Bible or something like that, I like to, to point out the nerd moment that would help us. And this happens to be one of them because historically, Nineveh was not that big. And that's proven. So how can we believe this? Well, uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you live in Columbia. How many of you live in Columbia? Raise your hand. There you go. Okay. No, no, no. Like, put your hands up. Put your hands up. Keep your hands up if you live in Columbia. Now, take your hands down if you do not live in the city limits. That's most of those hands. Now you can all put your hands down. You see, the walled city of Nineveh was not three days in breadth, but all of the villages and surrounding areas, the homes around it, and anyone who would have to go to Nineveh for any resources, that was a much larger area. And this is what God had called Jonah to go and reach. Now, but the point, let's get back to Jonah, because the point we need to get from this is it would have taken him three days to reach all of these people, and he only gave it one day. That's what I call a pretty half-hearted effort. I don't know about y'all. Like all of these people, none of them know God. All of them have a very bad future because heaven is real, hell is real, and they're headed the wrong direction. God cares enough for me to come and tell them, but basically, I'm only gonna do about a day's worth of work. Half-hearted effort. And on top of that, did you notice what he said to them? He took one day to walk through a city going, yep, 40 days, you're all going to die. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Peace out. Nowhere in the story is he like, hey, everybody, I'm here from the greatest God on planet Earth, the God of heaven and earth. He's gracious and merciful. He wants you to know that he loves you. No, no, Jonah didn't do that. He didn't go two more days. He didn't keep going. He had zero care. Y'all going to die. Bye. Are you kidding me? No, that's exactly what he did. And at this point, you're probably starting to get pretty frustrated with Jonah. I would imagine God was pretty frustrated with Jonah. But before we judge him too quickly, we need to remind ourselves, sometimes we're pretty good at a half-hearted effort as well. Look, I love that we get to do things like this Thanksgiving outreach and Halloween, and we do summer of serve, and we do, I mean, we've always got something going on, and I love that. But you gotta remember, there are people that live next door to you. There are people that sit in classrooms with you. There are people that work with you. That in between Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas, they are hurting and they are lost. And we've got to wonder, do we, do we take all three days to do a three-day job? Or do we do a little like Jonah and say, hey, I'll, I'll do this one little outreach and check a box and feel good about myself. So before we judge Jonah, let's just stop and look at ourselves for a second. So let's keep going. So Jonah has walked one day through the city. He's told them the end is near. How do they respond? And the people of Nineveh believed God. Wow. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word even reached to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from this evil way, from his evil way and and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Another little nerd moment in the ancient world, it was a very common uh, display of remorse and, and turning and, and fasting to too fast and, and to put on sackcloth. This was a, a way to say, we're responding to God. In other words, they didn't just say, hey, thanks, Jonah, got the message, appreciate that. But they actually demonstrated a life change and said, we are going to change our ways. And, and they took this so seriously. I mean, they even had the animals fast. I mean, when we do a week of prayer and fasting here, some of y'all are like, yeah, we'll give up Facebook for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like their, their animals didn't even get to eat for this whole time of mourning of going, oh my gosh, God, we are sorry. As they turn back to God. And here's the point I want us to get. I think God would want us to get from this. Non-believers are much more hungry for God than you and I tend to believe. We have this idea, well, if I tell my teacher I'm praying for them, I'll get written up at school. Or if I invite my boss to, to work to church, I may get fired. We've got these ideas that the rest of the world hates God, hates Christianity. And, and that we can't even, we, we just need to huddle up and be quiet and kind of be like Jonah, keep to ourselves. But actually in interviews and studies with non-believers around the world, what we've discovered is they They don't hate God as much as you think. Matter of fact, they are looking for the idea of being loved, of being forgiven, of knowing that their future is secure. When they do object to something, what they tend to object to are unkind messengers known as Christians. So maybe what we need to learn from the story is there's a whole lot of people around us that are much more ready to respond to God if we would take the time and the energy just to go. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. And what do we see from this? Well, I think we should take note of something very important here. We should take note as individuals first and foremost. We should take note as churches. We should definitely take note as a nation. God is just looking for people who will turn from their ways back to his. That's what God's looking for. I mean, these are some of the most evil people on the earth and God relented of his disaster simply because they abandoned being evil. They said, we're, we're gonna do it God's way. And he's like, great, that's all I was looking for. And let's think about our own lives and the, the world that's around us today. So many times we're praying for revival. We've got songs where we sing, we're praying for revival. We want God to show up and do amazing things. But revival, if you study it historically, always requires prayer and it always requires repentance. It always requires the people of God to say, God, we come back to you. If we want to see God show up in our lives, in our churches, and in our nation, we need to start by saying, God, whatever you say, we come back. God, forgive us. It worked for these evil people. Imagine if the people of God would do it, how much quicker that might be a change. Now, as we finish the story, what we need to understand is the Ninevites really play almost no part of the rest of this story. Truth is, the Ninevites have been a very small part of the story all along, haven't they? You see, because God came to Jonah and he offered Jonah something. The plan was for Jonah to be part of God's solution. And it turned out that Jonah became the whole problem. 
And that's what we're going to look at. Here we go. Chapter four, it says, but it displeased Jonah, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And you say, what did? Well, we, we just left it. The people repented. The people turned to God. God did not destroy them. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. People are worshiping God. People have turned from their evil. These people are, are now good, godly people, apparently going to go to heaven. And they're going to be counted among the people of God right alongside of Jonah. And you're thinking, what is the deal, Jonah? How can you still be so angry? I'll tell you the truth. It is very easy for us to want to judge him as you're listening to the story. But hold that thought, because in just a minute, I think we're going to discover we're a lot like Jonah, more, more so than we ever want to admit. And so at this point, Jonah prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Didn't I tell you that you're a good God? You are gonna, you're gonna forgive them. You're gonna love them. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I know you, I knew you were gonna do it. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. <laughs> Jonah, God help you. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Any parents in here ever watched your kid have a pity party? And you just wanted to maybe, I'm not even going to say what you wanted to do to him. You know, I mean, Jonah is having like the world's greatest historical pity party ever. It, it, to a point, he doesn't even make sense. This is like preacher response, the best you could ask for. I mean, I come in every Monday and I'm like, hey, how many people got saved this week? How many people changed their lives? And they're like, you know, three, 10, whatever the number is. And I'm like, yes, praise God. Jonah only talked to a third of the city and everybody gets saved. And the man's like, kill me now. I'm like, dude, do you not understand? Y'all need to clarify the win. Jonah, that was the goal. You should be excited. I mean, come on, man. And he's saying, kill me now. God's response to him is, do you do well to be angry? And, and in other words, he's saying, do you have a right to be angry? Is being angry helping you? Is this a good thing in your life at this point? Jonah doesn't answer. Matter of fact, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself. And, and that's a tent. He set up a tent. At the east of the city, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He is still hoping God's going to kill them. And he has set up a front row seat. He's made his bowl of popcorn, and he is ready to go. Come on, God, take him out. Take him out. You got this. The man cannot get over himself. His heart is so hard. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. That's a nice God. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. The man wants a city to burn. He's having a pity party. But the first smile in the entire story comes because of a plant. Are you kidding? I mean, look, the rest of this story is just like funny until you realize it's actually not. But it, it reads really funny. So when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked that plant so that it withered. I guess Jonah's smile was pretty short-lived. 
And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, second time, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, I was apparently the world's greatest preacher. People got saved I didn't even bother to talk to. And now my favorite plant's eaten by a worm. Can I just be done with life? Are you kidding me, Jonah? See, what we need to understand here is once again, many of us are in the same place Jonah's in. Because God sent the plant to show Jonah how good God was, how protective he was, how gracious he was, how loving he was. Think about this. This was the third great act of mercy just in the story. God comes to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, I've chosen you for the most incredible task. You are going to have an inheritance in heaven. You just go do what I say. Many people are going to get saved and and they're going to celebrate you in heaven. And so that's going to be a great thing. And Jonah says, no, thanks. But on top of that, Jonah was from the people of God. He knew God's goodness. He knew God's mercy. He had lived it his whole life. So Jonah runs from God, but then God actually saves him, gives him another chance. And then he goes and he does a half-hearted effort. And then he gets angry when people turn from God and God shows up. And again, he is loving and kind. He's like, Jonah, it's hot, man. Let me give you some shade. See, God sent the plant to show his goodness. The problem is it didn't get Jonah's attention. So God took the plant to get Jonah's attention. And that's where some of us find ourselves. We are angry at life. We look beside us and there's a withered up little plant and we say, God, how could you? When the truth is God has been so good for so long, but we didn't recognize the simple things he was asking from us. And he's had to take something in order to get our attention. Now, the question that we have to answer, if you find yourself in a place that God has taken the plant to get your attention Are you going to challenge God like Jonah? Are you going to challenge your own heart? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes. Yes, I do, actually. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Seriously, Jonah. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor? Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. And and should I, if you're going to pity the plant, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Thank you for laughing. Because those of you that are using a paper Bible, you are flipping the page going, what happened to my story? Where is it? Those of you that look, you're looking on the screen, that's it. Jonah's story ends and the last word is cow. This is all we get from him. It's the whole, are you kidding me? We're done with cattle. If you've ever read the Bible and you thought, what in the world? I'm not even sure the big fish is my problem anymore. Cattle? Okay, now if you're done laughing, because it is funny. Now let me show you how sad it is. See, what God is actually saying to Jonah is, you feel sorry for this plant? There's 120,000 people down there. The plant has no soul. Heaven or hell doesn't matter, and you pity it? There's 120,000 people. You set up here to watch them die. 120,000 souls that you couldn't care less about. 
Well, then how about this, Jonah? If that's how hard and pathetic your heart is, could you at least care about their animals? Could you care about the pets, man? Because if I burn the city, the pets die too. Could you care about the cows? If your heart is so hard, you don't care about the people. Come on, man. And that's how the story ends. We don't know Jonah's answer. But I'm assuming if it were a positive answer, he would have wanted us to know it. My guess is it's not a good one. As we ask, Jonah, seriously, how can you have such a hard heart? How at this point can you just not care? Let me give you an illustration that I think will help us understand Jonah a little bit. See, we need to remember that the Ninevites were some very, very bad people. They were torturous. They were brutal. The people that they fought against, the people that they conquered, they didn't just call them citizens and feed them. No, they were evil to them, killed them. And they had fought against Jonah's people. Jonah either knew the stories, maybe had seen something, who knows? But Jonah knew what had been done to his people by those people. So I'm gonna give you an example. It's gonna seem a little extreme, but it's actually not. It's actually a perfect illustration. If you're familiar with World War II, Nazi Germany killed approximately six million Jews in concentration camps. I want you to imagine God coming to a Jewish man in 1945, early 1945 and saying, I want you to go and walk the streets of Germany and shout out, your evil has risen up before the Lord God. I think we can all start to understand why that Jewish man would be really not excited to go. Why his response might be, uh, I'm going the other way. Those people, they don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your forgiveness. And if you plan to destroy them, I'm going to help. Be very understandable. Some of us at this point would want to go up and hug that Jewish man. Now you got to imagine this because this is not how history played out. But let's imagine that our modern day Jonah actually went. And the Nazis actually said, oh my gosh, we are so sorry. And they repented and turned from their ways. And they began worshiping God. And God said, okay, I relent of what I was gonna to do to you. Now we're at the end of the story, and I think once again we can understand Jonah. I think at that moment, Jonah would be saying, what? Just because they have turned, you're gonna ignore what they did for the last several years? You're gonna ignore six million souls that are already with you? And are you, are you kidding me? Makes it a little bit easier to understand Jonah, doesn't it? The question you and I have to ask, who are those people for us? Jonah had his people. They were the Ninevites. They were the Assyrians. Wanted nothing to do with these people. They were evil. And, and it's so easy as we understand Jonah's situation, if we put it into modern terms of Nazi Germany, we go, oh, I get it. Well, here's the problem. As soon as we start to understand Jonah and feel sorry for him, we no longer challenge ourselves to go and reach those people in our lives. 
Because we've all got those people. We've all got a list. You may not want them to burn. You may not have set up a tent beside their house to watch. But we've all got people that are at least at the bottom of the list. We don't pray for them. We don't really care about their outcome. And the truth is, if their outcome isn't good, we think they probably deserved it. And it's one of the biggest problems that we have in our world today. Everybody hear this. It is a demonic strategy for us to dislike the people God is sending us to. It is a great demonic strategy for us to dislike, maybe even hate the people that God is sending us to. It explains everything in our world today. If you were to to look at Israel in the Middle East, Israel, they're God's people. From the beginning, God said, I want you to be a light to the nations around you. I want you, you're gonna be a blessing to be a blessing to them, but history has proven they didn't do it thousands of years ago and they're still not really doing that today. And so then we have the Middle East that hates them and we have countries all around the world that take sides. How about Christians and Muslims? I mean, we're supposed to be the very ones that take the gospel to them, but how often do we hear Christians chanting things like bomb them, bomb them? After all, they bombed us. Memories, just like Jonah's people would have had. This will be a less extreme, but young people? How about older people? How about the generation that comes before you? They don't understand you. They don't like your music. They tell you there's something wrong with you because of the way you dress and the words you use and whatever. It's every generation. And so the last thing that you would ever do is pray for that teacher at school that seems to be the one that hates you the most. You hope that teacher gets what's coming to her. You would never go up to your principal and say, hey, I'm praying for you because you probably don't think nice things about your principal. You see, it's a great demonic strategy for us to dislike the very people that we can reach for God. Maybe it's race. Maybe it's politics. Our politics in our nation have become so polarizing that it has killed evangelism. The minute that you discover someone is a different political persuasion, they don't care. It's sad, but true. Matter of fact, if someone come to you and said, hey, the other party is having their national convention and here's a ticket, you can go. And you'd say, great, you mean I can go and I can take a picket sign and I can shout out all that's wrong with them and I can tell them why they need to turn? And somebody says, no, you just get to go and pray. Oh, well, I'm not going then. Can we be honest with ourselves? The question we have to ask then, who are those people to you? Who's at the bottom of your list? Just like Jonah, who could you not care less? If we don't answer that question, then we're very likely to miss the whole point of what God is teaching us through Jonah. So the question for us today is, as we close very, very briefly here, are we going to be part of God's solution like Jonah was meant to be? Or are we going to be part of the problem like Jonah became? And I want to share with you just a couple thoughts from Jesus that'll bring this together, even though Jonah was many years ago. The last Sentence of the story, God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? In other words, they don't know right from wrong. 
because no one's ever told them. No one's ever gone. And the one that God sends tries to go the other way. They don't know God. They don't know God's ways. God's saying, shouldn't I have pity on people that really don't have any idea? Reminds me of Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know. Forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. You see, we tend to look at the world around us and think God is so frustrated with lost people. And and he may be to an extent. He's a good and gracious God. And I'm sure he's been good to them. But if we're going to learn anything from the story of Jonah, we need to see how frustrated God is likely to be with his own people. The people who have received much mercy, but don't give much mercy. The people who know a lot and obey little. The people who see a lot and carry very little. The people who are aware of so, so much but whose hearts are broken for so, so little. One more thought from Jesus. He told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's the paraphrase of what Jesus said. Stop praying for lost people. They're everywhere, they're plentiful, and they're ready. Start praying for Christians who care. Start praying that somebody will go. Somebody will do what God's been telling us for thousands of years, from Jonah to Jesus to us today. Go. So here's my parting thought for you. Jonah's story ends without resolution. We, We have no idea how it ends. Jonah's story ends without resolution, but your story has yet to be written. And today you get to decide. Are you going to be hard-hearted? Going to be half-hearted? Are you going to run the other direction? Are you going to set up a, a little tent and watch the world burn? Or are you going to pursue after the people that God wants to save? Even if it's uncomfortable to you. Even if there's a reason you may not want to go in the natural. You see, we need to understand Jonah's problem. A half-hearted effort comes from hard-hearted people. And so what I'm going to close with is an encouragement for you to pray about your heart. You don't need to walk away from this message thinking, well, I should, and I ought to, and I need to. I mean, well, we should, and we ought to, but that'll never change us. It never has, right? How many of you know you ought to eat your veggies, right? I mean, doesn't work. What works is when our hearts change. Here's the question. Will you let God break your heart for the people who break his? Will you let God break your heart for the people who break his? I was reading a book this past week on prayer. And this chapter was talking about praying for other people. And it said, there's an ingredient. You can't pray for other people without this ingredient. And the ingredient was agony. If you do not agonize in your own heart over the condition of theirs, if you do not feel the pain that they live in every day, 
If you do not have your heart to break for how God's heart breaks for those who don't know him, you'll never be able to pray for them. And so what I hope we take away from our three weeks of Jonah is realizing a hard heart is going to watch the world burn. And the truth is we've done it for millennia. So what I hope we take away is asking God, God, will you break my heart for the people that break yours? Let me pray for us. God, we just come before you today and we begin by acknowledging who we are and the world we live in. God, we live in a very divided world that in all honesty is so mean to each other. So we confess our hearts. We confess that there are people at the bottom of our list. We just don't care. But we know you do. And we ask you to forgive us, God, that we didn't care. And today, God, we ask you to change our hearts. We ask you to break our hearts. God, let us never feel the same, but let us feel the pain that they feel. Let us feel what you feel when you look at these people who are separated from you that are lost, that do not know the way of truth. God, break our hearts. And thank you for being so good to us. Let us take your goodness with boldness and with passion to the world around us. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We heard the stories during baptisms. It's what we've been talking about all throughout the series. God loves those who are separated from him. And we are all separated from him. It's called sin. None of us has been perfect. And none of us can deal with that. So God did. God sent his son Jesus, being God in the flesh, to live a perfect life. So that when he was crucified on the cross as an innocent man, his blood would pay for your sins. Not his own. He had none. And the supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you to eternal life as well. And all of this comes from a simple exchange. Trading the life you've been living for the one he has for you. We call it salvation. It's a free gift. And if you've never made this exchange, I want to help you do it right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen.